It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, here comes the maven, he's coming around. He's such a connoisseur, he's such an autograph hound. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. So today we're going to be talking about a particular NASA mission. Yes, the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution spacecraft. A.K.A. Maven. Oh, I was going to say that's a mouthful, but you preempted me. (laughs) Well, it's still a mouthful. You're not incorrect. (laughs) So... The, the, you know, we've talked a lot about Mars on this show. And because, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating subject. It's, uh, one of the, the possible jumping off points for, uh, further exploration into space, both manned and unmanned. Right. Uh, it's central to questions about whether there could exist life on other planets. Sure. Uh, you know, there, there's a question of, well, we don't seem to see life on Mars today, or at least not so far, but, Maybe there could have been life there in the past. Yep. And if there had been, what conditions would have allowed that? And what changed? 
Exactly you know, what, right. What, what happened to the point so that now the conditions are no longer supportive of life? Another thing about the conditions of Mars is knowledge about what happened to Mars to make it the way it is today could help us in the future if we were to ever to want to terraform Mars to turn it into the kind of planet that we could live on. Right, mm-hmm. right. So, for example, if we decided as a group, hey, you know what would be awesome? Let's just pack up a whole bunch of oxygen Head over to Mars, let it loose, and uh, party times, y'all. Uh, it turns out that would not be an immediate solution to the problem. It would but, not be so many party times. No. Yeah, we would <laughs> we would have to we would have to solve some other really big issues, and that's kind of uh, one of the things Maven will be looking at, or at least the information that Maven gathers could end up informing us uh, when we come to make decisions like that in the future. Uh, right, because two of the big problems with, uh, you know, up and moving to Mars is that it doesn't have as much of an atmosphere as Earth does. Right. And mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to have water. Yeah. Yeah. It's got it's got water in ice form, but it doesn't have any like free flowing water Liquid on the surface. Water. Yeah. Right. So it's it, those are big issues. Uh, obviously, there's also other ones like the fact that Mars does not have a magnetosphere the way the Earth does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Earth has a, a very powerful magnetosphere that uh, that surrounds us and binds us and pen- no wait that's the force it <laughs> it uh, but it does protect earth largely from yeah. a lot of harmful radiation from the uh, sun yes also it's mars's soil happens to contain a lot of percolates which are highly cancer causing particles yeah, sure, um sure. but other than that uh <laughs> i i think that the the really interesting questions here and the things that maven is going to be looking for are those atmosphere and water questions yeah, yeah. it's 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 stuff that it's not all about sending a rover onto the surface and uh, exploring the soil, which we've done several times. This is specifically a spacecraft dedicated to orbiting Mars and sampling the atmosphere of Mars to learn more about it. Right. So let's tell the story of Maven. Okay, sure. All right. You guys uh, gather around. Uh, I got some hot chocolate over here. <laughs> I'll tell you the story. <laughs> so it goes uh, back to the mid-2000s when uh, there was a lot of interest in Mars, still is clearly. But uh, NASA had this challenge of coming up with what, how are we going to study Mars, right? What are, what are the next steps? How are we going to actually implement this approach so that we can learn things? I mean, it, the, the answer was wide open at that point, right? So they started looking around and they knew that they needed to keep the costs low because NASA had had some Budget cutbacks. It was no longer the era of a $3 billion space probe to be sent out into space. They needed to come up with ways that were much less expensive and had a low risk of failure. I mean, it would be terrible for you to send something up into space and it malfunctions. That is not a great, uh, not a great message to send to the people who are signing the checks that are allowing you to get the science done. Uh, certainly not. No. And, and, uh, right around that time, there had been a few space shuttle failures that I'm sure were, were fresh in everyone's mind. Sure. And, you know, we also were living in a, a post 9-11 world. There were a lot of things going into creating a complicated political atmosphere for the space research industry. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the program that NASA came up with was called the Mars Scout Program. It was specifically this approach to say, how can we make efficient, low-cost projects that will effectively explore different elements of Mars bring back the information to us that's that's useful so that we can actually demonstrate that this is an important work of science that we are doing and are likely, you know, the most likely to succeed. And so uh, from the 26 different proposals they looked at, 
they started off with the Phoenix Lander. You guys probably remember the Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, the Phoenix Lander, the thing I remember most about it is that they were, NASA was very savvy and, uh, and ended up using a social networking approach to communicating the Phoenix Lander's, uh, mission progress. And so there was a Twitter account dedicated to the Phoenix Lander and it was all delivered in first person. So it sort of anthropomorphized the Phoenix Lander saying things. Um, today I discovered that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people developed an emotional attachment to the Phoenix Lander. I mean, they were, they were emotionally invested in the science that was going on on Mars, which is great news, right? Oh, yeah. Because now you've got people who are really interested and involved and they want this project to succeed. So much so that when the Phoenix Lander sent its final tweet, people got really emotional. Uh, it sent a message in binary code. And it was a Twitter message that was all just ones and zeros. And if you were to translate it, it spelled out the single word triumph. And uh, immediately people broke down in tears, um, except for GLaDOS, who just said. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was the first of the Mars Scout program. And they, all of the programs had to, uh, or at least they were supposed to cost less than, than essentially half a billion dollars, which sounds like, a, I mean, it's a huge amount of money. But in space terms... It's, you know, tiny, <laughs> at least as far as NASA's uh, history is concerned. So around $485 million was like the, the, it was the capper. So the second project they looked at was MAVEN out of those, those initial 26. And, uh, it, it turns out that MAVEN was, um, the last of the Mars Scout project. Second and last. Yeah. Yes. In fact, to the point where, you know, it, it launched. Uh, it's jumping ahead a little bit, but it launched in 2013. Um, but the Ma- the Mars Scout program was ended in 2010. Now, the reason why Maven went ahead anyway is due to the complex nature of the way Earth and Mars line up and don't line up. Mm-hmm. So there are times when you have an ideal launch window where you're going to be spending the least amount of fuel in order for you to get from Earth to Mars. Uh, Right, because the planets are moving around, so sometimes they're further away from each other and sometimes they're closer together. Right, and and so you can't just launch when they're close together because by the time you're getting out to where Mars was, it ain't there no more. Uh, Right, yes. I... I posit that space travel is really the universe's most expensive and carefully calculated form of bocce. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that you're planning a family vacation to a specific destination, but that specific destination is also in motion relative to you. So (laughs) so the problem is that you have to plan for where it will be, not for where it is. Yes. And uh, same sort of thing with Mars. I mean, it's it really is. And so uh, the problem there is that if there's a delay in the process of getting your spacecraft off the Earth and, in, and toward Mars, you might miss that window. And in fact, that did happen to MAVEN. Uh, it was originally announced back way back in 2007 that they were going to delay the launch until 2013. That would be the earliest. Uh, it's funny because if you look at NASA's records, it talks about how MAVEN was approved for budget in 2008. So you might say, well, how the heck (laughs) did something, did they delay a project in 2007 that they have not yet even approved and budgeted? And it was because they realized already they were not going to meet that original launch window. The first window, right. Yeah. So it meant that they were automatically going to be delayed 26 months. Even if all the technology and everything else went, went perfectly, the design of the, the device, the building of it, even if all of that worked flawlessly, 
that that delay was still going to happen just because of the way Earth and Mars orbit the sun. So uh, it was a it was a tough blow, but it was an important one. It turned out that the reason for the delay in the first place was because there was a conflict of interest in the mission uh, statements of the various instrumentation groups that were all putting stuff aboard the Maven. Mm. And they had to say, look, if we go forward with this, we are not doing we're doing a disservice to the project. And I would rather as painful as it is, I would rather go ahead and delay and 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 hash all this out than to go forward and potentially endanger the entire program. Mm-hmm. You know, you also if you if you know the history of NASA, you also know there have been lots of stories of uh, uh, budgets getting um, out of control or at least inflating beyond what they were originally anticipated to be. So they were being very careful about this. Now, the principal investigator of this entire project is Bruce Tchaikovsky of the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And the spacecraft itself was built by Lockheed Martin. Not a big surprise. Lockheed Martin has done a lot of work with NASA. Mm -hmm. And it was based on innovations that were made for the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter and the Mars Odyssey missions. Uh, The original launch date, again, was going to be 2011. It got delayed to 2013. And in 2013, October 2013, so this is essentially the month before it was supposed to launch. A year ago this month. Uh Yeah. In October 2013, there was a completely different issue that threatened to once again delay Maven by another 26 months. Martian invasion? Worse. (laughs) Government shutdown. I remember that. I had some... uh Friends working for the Park Service at the time. Yeah, it's it's rough, right? I mean, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, no one comes out looking good in that situation. No. You're either uh, either vilified for what you have done, possibly justifiably, or you are (laughs) suffering because of something else someone has done. And very rarely is that justifiable. But at any rate, it was it was tough all over the United States. Oh, for many reasons, right? Yeah. Um but but in this specific case, I mean, okay, so so the shutdown in the end only lasted 16 days, but yeah. there was only um but but there was no way to tell at the outset how long that was going to be. And it was no there was no way of telling if it was going to delay enough things. You know, when you're coming toward a launch, they, they stuff pl- is happening. Yeah, they, it's, it's not like they're resting on their laurels right up until the right countdown. Ends. It's not like you wake up five in the morning and oh, better go put the rocket on the launch pad. No, it's, it's time a meticul- to make the rocket donuts. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, a meticulous, painstaking approach to get something into space. I mean, it's obviously not an easy thing to do. And so there was a lot of fear that this uh, was going to end up delaying it again, which would mean another 26-month delay. The earliest that they could have a launch at that point would have been 2016. And you might say, oh, you know, it's just the study of Mars, which is really cool, but maybe not critical. Um, So why were they so worried about it? Well, they were able to show that there is a critical factor here. So, you know, we've got the Curiosity rover rolling around on Mars. And Hanging out it, like it does. Yeah. Yep. And it sends information back to us, which all the the scientists clap their hands for and get really excited about. Well, the reason why it's able to send information in part is because of communication relays that are set up to relay that information to communicate it back to Earth. Right. So MAVEN is not the first spacecraft that will be orbiting Mars. Right. So the problem is that the communication relays that are in operation around Mars are already beyond their life cycle. They they have lasted longer than they were projected to, which is great, but you you never know when it's going to stop working. So 
the scientists were pointing out that MAVEN, apart from just doing amazing science in the atmosphere of Mars, could also act as a communication relay and supplement these older relays that could break down at any moment and said this is critical to Things we have already invested in. We have already put our money into this. They are already on Mars. Plus, we have some other future plans that, if they do go into effect, will require those communication relays. So we need MAVEN to be there. So they were looking at a potential two-year lapse in communication with the Curiosity rover. Yeah. Um, you know, during which it could go all Lord of the Flies on us. I mean, oh, yeah. we don't know. Right. No, we, we, we would expect <laughs> it would... We'd reestablish contact. It has established the new Martian religion yeah. of, uh, <laughs> well, you just, of the Red Rock. You just hear yeah. that there was a terrible incident with, a, with a, someone only identified by the name of Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, um, that 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 did not happen. The red rock must be appeased, Jonathan. <laughs> that, that did not happen, as it turns out. Red is out. also the color of blood, you know. <laughs> yes. but sorry, sorry, so, we're coming back. Yeah, having, having <laughs> now that we've had our little literary uh, digression. Um, no, the the obviously that did not happen. Uh, uh, the government agreed with NASA, and uh, Maven launched off uh, on as scheduled. In November 2013, specifically November 18th, 2013, uh, its launch vehicle was an Atlas V uh, vehicle, and the Maven slowly made its way to Mars because the speed was not what was important. It was that that you know conservation of fuel. Yeah. yeah, you know that's the the be- the most important thing because so, it cuts down that cost. So it uh, arrived in Martian orbit at 10:34 p.m. Eastern time. Whoa! Wait a second. Is that the time it arrived or the time we got the signal that it arrived? <laughs> That's a great question that I do not know the answer to because if you have, you know, paid right. attention, you know that it takes like, well, when, when the Curiosity rover was landing, it was a 14 minute delay just because that happened to be how far apart Earth and uh, Mars were at the time. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, we can say 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah. Definitely. Somewhere around there. It all, it all depends on where the orbits were at that point. But yeah, I think that's, that's safe. At any rate, um, the, the Maven had uh, had arrived where it needed to be. It was uh, September twenty first, two thousand fourteen. I didn't say what the date was. It didn't arrive at ten thirty four that evening. <laughs> it actually uh, it went from November eighteenth, two thousand thirteen, to September twenty first, two thousand fourteen. That's three hundred six days of travel. Uh, but it's four hundred and forty two million miles. So I feel like it was making pretty good time, all yeah. things considered. Yeah, uh, it would have made the Griswolds proud. <laughs> But now it's there. It's there doing science. Yeah, well, it's it's there ish. It's currently in a six. Currently, by the recording of this podcast, I should say, and by the the publication of this podcast, it'll still be in this six week commissioning phase, which is where it is maneuvering into its final science orbit. As of October 10th, um, it had activated its engines four times to kind of edge closer into to the planet, into yep. a into a lower orbit where it needs to be in order to do the science, um, and had also activated and or deployed uh, a few of its instruments for, for testing. Yeah. And uh, once it is in position, it will begin a one-year scientific research mission. Uh, and part of that mission includes what are called deep dip campaigns. Deep dip campaigns. Different from double dip campaigns. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're going to dip five times. So it's, it's much better than double dipping. Um, they are the, what this means is again, this is a spacecraft that is analyzing the atmosphere, the upper atmosphere largely. 
of Mars. But five times it's going to dip down from around 93 miles above the surface of Mars to 77 miles or so. And the purpose of that is to study the area of the atmosphere where the upper atmosphere meets the lower atmosphere of Mars. Yeah, yeah. It's getting the entirety of the upper atmosphere and and really pretty close to the lower atmosphere. Yeah, kind of seeing where they interact. Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to be significantly different than studying, say, the upper atmosphere of Earth. Because uh, Martian atmosphere is much thinner than Earth's atmosphere. Yes. Oh, right, right. Yeah, those those numbers are way further down than um than they would be on Earth. I it's I, I believe. One percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in in Earth terms, that would be something like 150 kilometers to 125 kilometers above mm. the surface. Um, well, I, that's not in Earth terms. That's just a metric to sure. imperial conversion. Um, but uh, <laughs> well, technically, it is Earth terms because I'm pretty sure alien civilizations don't use the kilometer. Accurate. Mm. Um, but uh, but that would be somewhere in the in the lower to mid thermosphere here. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's that's way lower than we put our stuff into orbit. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. We're looking. Well, I, I was referring not to the altitude, but to the uh, thickness of Martian oh, atmosphere, which sure. is uh, it's one percent of Earth's atmosphere, or so it's, density rather. Yeah, yeah, it's very thin. Yes, yeah, and, and that's part of why the spacecraft is is necessary, right? right? That's what we're studying. We want to we want to find where out where did that atmosphere go? Yeah, what happened to it? So, in order to talk about what happened to it, and and to and we have some ideas. We'll we'll talk about some of the things that are, have very likely. In fact, we're, we're pretty certain have, uh, caused the Martian atmosphere to, um, to disappear over time. But here are some of the tools that we're going to be using to actually study that to, you know, support the hypotheses we've drawn. Yeah. Number one, a hammer. <laughs> there is no hammer aboard the Maven. Is there a mystical axe? There's no, there are no arms on the Maven. What so. about a neutral gas and ion mass spectrometer? No, Joe, you're just being, oh, son of a gun, you're right. <laughs> There is a neutral gas and ion mass spectrometer. Curse you, Joe. Uh, yeah, that's the instrument that measures the composition and isotopes of thermal neutrals and ions. So essentially, it's going to determine the basic structure of the upper atmosphere and ionosphere of Mars. So when you say neutrals, you're talking about an uncharged particle, essentially. Yeah. Ions, obviously, that's something that has either gained or lost an electron mm-hmm. and thus has a net charge to so it. So this is just straight up looking at what particles are there. Yep. Then you've got the remote sensing package. Which is, uh, that includes the imaging ultraviolet spectrograph. And that's going to look at the global characteristics in the Martian upper atmosphere. So kind of looking at the overall composition as opposed to specific segments of the atmosphere. It's kind of more like a, a, a well, satellite's eye view, I guess. So then you've got uh, the particles and fields package, which includes six different instruments. The magnetometer, which is an instrument that is used to measure the strength and direction of magnetic fields. We mentioned, you know, the Martian uh, planet does not have a magnetosphere the way the Earth does. That doesn't mean it doesn't have one at all. It does. It's patchy. It's smaller. It is not as effective at warding off uh, the the solar wind, but it is there. So this would be one of the instruments that would be able to detect it and kind of get us more information about it. So then there's the suprathermal and thermal ion composition which will measure the source ion populations and sort between shocked solar wind and planetary ions. In other words, saying which one of these came from the sun and which of these were affected by the sun but came from Mars. Hmm. Uh, then you've got the solar wind electron analyzer, which will measure the solar wind and ionospheric electrons. It will look at the effects of electron impact in the Martian atmosphere. Uh, you're probably picking up on some themes here. 
<laughs> the Solar Wind Ion Analyzer, which will study the ionization rates of neutral particles as an input to atmospheric loss processes. So we talked about, you know, what made the Martian atmosphere leave? Like, why is it, why is it no longer there? This is one of those instruments that's going to be looking specifically at the, uh, the factors that affect the Martian atmosphere. Why is it escaping? So really what we're looking at here is the effects of the solar wind on the Martian atmosphere and how that's kind of ripping away the atmosphere of Mars. Uh, it will also measure the Martian magnetosphere, which again is not terribly strong, and how the solar wind affects that magnetosphere on Mars. And then you've got the solar energetic particle, which is an instrument that will determine the impact of solar energetic particles <laughs> on the upper atmosphere of Mars. And I like the names that are... They totally make sense. Now, does anyone know how to say this first word? I know how I would say it, but I'm curious to hear why you would say it. Uh, Langmuir? I, I, would, I was going to say Langmuir, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say more like Langmuir. So a little, so I was going, like, it sounds like it's a progression. We had Langmuir, Langmuir, and then Langmuir. At any rate, it's a probe and waves. And it's an instrument that'll look at ionospheric properties, uh, wave heating of the upper atmosphere and solar extreme ultraviolet input to the atmosphere. So again, it's really looking to see what how the the sun has affected the atmosphere of Mars. That's yeah. ultimately what we're talking about here. So if you've got a planet that lacks the protection that Earth's magnetosphere gives Earth, then what would happen to it? Well, it's that's that's what Mars is, right? Mars is a planet that lacks that protective magnetosphere. And so the question is, did phenomenon originating from the sun over time rip away an atmosphere that once existed on Mars? Yeah, by mm -hmm. ionizing those particles, by charging those particles, pushing essentially the wind blowing the atmosphere. The solar wind. The solar wind blowing the atmosphere into space. Yeah. Um, there's some really cool animations out there that kind of illustrate this that uh, I wish we could include. But as an audio podcast, we have not yet figured out how to put the animated GIF in there. You could state the color of each pixel in a graph kind of Yeah, thing. you just hear me like, blue, green, 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 yellow, 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 green, red, red. Yeah, one, keep, one, keep zero, going. one, zero, one, one. So <laughs> the question is, we're really early on in the actual project of Maven, right? It yeah. hasn't has data even, gathering. Phase. Yeah, it's it's there. It's taken a couple samples and everything that I've seen so far seems to be working as expected. Yeah. Um, but we're not. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of science to do. Right. It has not yet reached its uh, its final position. So it is still uh, maneuvering into position. It's still testing its various. Uh, instrumentations so that make sure that everything's working the way it's supposed to. Um, but we have already seen some results. Yeah. Uh, in fact, within eight hours of it arriving at its orbit, it was sending back pictures to NASA, which is kind of cool. So now those images were of Mars's upper atmosphere, as you would expect, and it was mapping out the presence of hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, now, it was using the imaging ultraviolet spectrograph to capture the images, which then we had to convert. We had to put in false color for us to be able to see the results, right? So you'll see if you if you look up the images that Maven has gathered already, they're very vibrant. But obviously, that's not the actual data that came back to us. That's us after we put in it through a conversion process. It's a representation so that we can look at it with our eyeballs and yeah. tell stuff about it. Exactly. Because uh, most of us are incapable of seeing in the ultraviolet spectrum. Um, so the... 
if you were to look at these pictures, you'd see a, a series of, of them that were first sent back. One of them is a very blue planet Mars, and the color blue represents the ultraviolet light that, scattered, that was scattered by hydrogen gas. Uh, the, there's also a green one, which shows a different wavelength of ultraviolet light that was scattered by oxygen. There's also a red one, which actually shows the ultraviolet light that made contact with the surface of Mars itself huh. and then was reflected off. And there's a fourth one that is a composite of all of those different images put together. So you can kind of see the mixture that's there. And uh, it's really pretty. I mean, it's, it's dramatic. Yeah. It's uh, It's cool to see and to think. This is before Maven is even in position to really do what it's supposed to do. This is this is preliminary stuff. Yeah, this is eight hours into into yeah. being there. Exactly. So uh, it's really exciting to see how this is going to yeah. end up, you know, affecting our understanding of Mars and how it might shape our plans for future missions to Mars. Because, again, it's going to act not just as... Uh, a scientific instrument or a communication array, it's going to give us a lot of information that could be valuable for things like coming up with new ways to protect astronauts if they were to leave the protective envelope of that magnetosphere. You know, if you were to journey beyond, say, the moon and you needed to make sure that they were protected, learning more about the interactions of the solar wind with an uh, area that doesn't have that magnetic protection is valuable. Oh, right? sure. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that we continually talk about when we talk about the problems of spaceflight. Yeah. So this information could tell us more about our solar system. It could tell us more about the conditions outside of our immediate surroundings and better prepare us for when we decide to shuffle off the, the coils of Earth and gravity. <laughs> when we personally, the three of us. Oh, I'm working on it. <laughs> We'll see. But uh, when we are able to do that and be able to uh, slip the bonds of Earth, I think is the best way of putting it. Since there you that's, go. That's been yeah, said it sounds in less ways. like you're saying we're going to die. I didn't yes. say mortal coil. <laughs> mortal coil is a very specific thing. It was you know, merely implied. The phrase shuffle off is just not used all that often in Look, English. If you, uh, if unless you, you're <laughs> talking about like leaving after a. I don't know, one of those races where your feet are tied together. Yeah. Or but, I guess maybe if you're very British. I mean, not just mildly British, like I'm talking extraordinarily British. I, deep inside, I am extraordinarily <laughs> British. I'm also an actor, so shuffling okay. off the stage happens all the time. It's true. Um, um, but at <laughs> any rate, yeah. um, so so we're going to try to remember to share with you guys on our social media networks um, some of these brilliant images that are already coming out of the Maven. Yeah. And, and we'll keep an eye on it, see what other kind of cool information, maybe if there's something that is spectacularly interesting. We'll do an update to this episode yeah. and kind of talk about some of the science that has come out of the Maven project. I, I'm really interested in how some of the science coming out of Maven will inform our ideas about the possibility of terraforming Mars in the future. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, and, you know, we had mentioned that that's, a big challenge, obviously, not just because terraforming is this idea that we have, but we don't really know how to implement said idea. Yeah, yeah. We, right. But beyond that, even if we could implement it, how would you transform Mars in a way that would be permanent, right? As mm -hmm. opposed to, we talked about this in our, our colonies episode, where you can make changes to Mars, but without fixing that magnetosphere issue, the solar wind would just come in and start wreaking havoc anyway. So maybe the answer is that we figure out a way to create an artificial magnetosphere. That sounds easier said than done to me. <laughs> yeah, maybe no, we could put one up on the moon. Hard. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> 
We get a bunch of bar magnets and just put them fine. up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, we need we, spheres for everybody. We've got this. We got this, guys. We got this. <laughs> yeah, we just need some funding. So if you guys, uh, you know, want to send us bags of money, um, well, first you should probably get in touch with us. And the best way to do that is actually not through the mail, but through Twitter, Google Plus, and Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and Google Plus with the handle FW Thinking. Just search for FW Thinking over in Facebook. Ours will pop up right away. Give us your ideas about, you know, what you want to hear for future topics of forward thinking. Give us your ideas about the future of Mars itself. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. And uh, just get in touch with us that way, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.